Welcome back to Over Here. My name is Nick Finzer, and today we're back to the Meet the Artist series, this time with a fantastic composer and saxophonist named Paul Jones. Now, Paul is a friend of mine here in New York, and we play together in many situations. And he has a very interesting project coming out on August 4th, 2017. And if you're listening to this before then, it's coming soon. And if you're listening after, go ahead and search Paul Jones clean on Google and you will be sure to find it be able to check it out at the retailer of your choosing or streaming service of your choosing. So we kind of covered a lot of ground with Paul kind of where he came from and why he plays music and what's up for coming up for him in the future and with the record. So please enjoy a little bit of a conversation to introduce you to a great saxophonist, Mr. Paul Jones. Uh, Hey everyone out there. This is Paul Jones, Um, a saxophonist composer. Um, I live in New York City, um, play a bunch of gigs with my music, with other people's music. Um, I'm originally from Maryland, but I've lived in New Hampshire, and I lived in Boston, and I have family in Maine, and today I'm in Tennessee visiting family. Um, and I have a new record coming out in a couple weeks on August 4th. Uh, it's entitled Clean with Nick Finzer and Outside In Music. And uh, in a, I wrote it at the Banff Creative Arts Center in the winter of 2016, and uh, really happy to get it out into the world. Yeah, well, we're excited to get it out. So, um, can you give us a little context about what got you into music in the first place? Like, when did you start playing the saxophone? And... Um, I started playing when I was 10. I wanted to play music before then. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how I got into it. I have people that are somewhat musical in my family, but there's not a lot of music. My, my grandfather on my dad's side was a barbershop singer, and so was, so was my grandmother. She was a sweet Adeline. Um, and then overall, that was about as musical as it got, I think. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how I got into it. I just sort of wanted to play the saxophone. Maybe I saw it on TV or something, and that was what drew me to it um and uh i've been playing ever since pretty much switched from the piano to the saxophone and i was content with that so were you always interested in playing jazz in particular or did you kind of go through a kind of circuitous route to finding jazz and improvised music yeah it took me a minute to find it um i remember in maryland where i started uh there was only like marching band and concert band and I was a saxophone player in that and there was actually a lot of saxophone players in the school and I remember getting into middle school and wanting to play whatever notes I wanted I was kind of I remember having a thought that I wanted to stop reading the page and just play whatever I felt like playing um, and then when I got to high school I moved to New Hampshire and they had a jazz band in the high school and uh, we played, and I was like, this is kind of it. This is super fun. Like, I take solos, and uh, I, was re- I started to get really hooked into the music. Um, and so, like, either before my first year or during the second year of high school, my mom sent me to the Maine State Jazz Camp uh, in Farmington, Maine, and I didn't know anything about jazz, and I couldn't solo at all. And I could, you know, I could just read the notes, and I was trying to practice. And at this camp, 
unbeknownst to me, faculty members at the time were like the Bad Plus was there and Tony Mallett was there, Bill McHenry was there, Donnie McCaslin, Pete McCann, um, Jeff Williams was there. And these were all like faculty members on this camp. And I couldn't, I had no idea. And I would just listen to them play and like have a good time and try and hang out. Um, that's quite the faculty. So that sort of was like the beginning of yeah, it was crazy. I didn't even know. And I went back a second year, and they were all there again. Um, and they would play every night at the Main State Jazz Camp. Uh, and it, it was so intense, it would just almost make me, like, pass out. Because, like, you know, Tony and Bill McHenry would get up there, and they would, like, blow their faces off. And they'd all play free, and, you know, uh, it was really crazy. And then, like, one night, Ethan Iverson and... Uh, Reed Anderson were on faculty, but Dave King wasn't on faculty. And Dave came up, and the Bad Plus played all that stuff from that first record before it was released, like all the Nirvana covers and things like that for us before it was released. And we just had like a private concert with the Bad Plus, like in a little auditorium for all these camp kids. Wow. Um, I was like 14, 15, and I didn't get it. And then I actually I ran into Tony in New York City about you know I don't know 18 years later and you know maybe not that long maybe like 15 years later Tony remembered me because I was in his ensemble which was crazy I couldn't believe he's like dude I know you and I was like yeah you were actually my teacher like one of my first teachers in Maine and he's like whoa this is crazy <laughs> so we reconnected in New York uh, which was really awesome and I still see Tony a bunch at the Cornelius Street Cafe and um you know, we talk saxophone and hang out and whatever. Nice. And so you you kind of went through college, or you went through uh, high school, discovering this beginnings, the beginnings of what became your career. And so you went to you went to Boston first before getting to New York, right? Well, yeah. Um, well, it, I, it took me a while to actually just sort of decide that I wanted to play music. Like I knew I wanted to do it, I, and so when I finished high school, you know. Um, I mean, I wasn't at a performing arts high school, and there wasn't a ton of jazz at my school. It was like a big band, and I enjoyed playing it. And I didn't know I wanted to do music, and I ended up going to state school at Keene State in New Hampshire first, actually. Um, and at Keene State, I sort of like, you know, got my direction. I there was a teacher in town named Scott Mullet, who uh, I still talk to regularly as well, um, who uh, attended Berkeley in the '70s. And he played with like the Woody Herman Band and uh, Cab Calloway's original band and things like that. Um, and he was a, he is a great saxophonist. And uh, he kind of inspired me to practice a lot and start fitting. And then around the end of my sophomore year at Keene State, all my friends who I was playing music with in that area graduated or moved on. And I had no one to make music with. And I had just basically like uh, made my degree so that I could practice as much as I could and when I had no one to play music with I decided it was probably time to go somewhere else um, and I looked at all my records that I really enjoyed listening to and almost all the players on it had gone to places like Berkeley or the New School or North Texas or something and I decided to transfer and I sat down with Scott and I was like I think I'm thinking about doing this and he was like I think you can do it you know it's a lot of work and it's really hard but you know like, I think you can do it. So then I went to Berkeley after two years at Keen State. I started college over again because I knew I needed to practice a bunch. 
and uh, went to Berkeley and did that and practiced. And then it took me basically six years to get through undergrad. And then I wanted to take a year off just to sort of recover from the whole experience of undergrad. And I ended up hooking up with a soul band called Eli Paperboy Reed and the True Loves. And we toured the United States and Europe and Canada and um, put out some records with that. And then I decided to, I wanted to go play jazz. That's really what I wanted to do. And uh, I really wanted to go to Manhattan School of Music. It was one of my dream schools. And so I quit the band and I applied and I got in and I moved to New York. And then I've been there for about eight years now, you know, uh, playing and working and trying to put out my projects and work on other people's projects and, you know, live the life. Yeah. What what was that like trying to um, make that transition from being on in a touring band and you're working a lot and touring and then to decide to go back to school? What kind of was the thing that made you think that you wanted to get out of the working and back into the school setting? Um, well, I I really enjoyed the traveling and the, the being around the people and like I still hang with the guys from the band. Um, um, one of them had a birthday party the other night and we were hanging out in Brooklyn. It was really fun. Uh, and um, I was in the band and I was just personally not content playing horn lines every night. It was fun, but, you know, I, I felt like I could do more. Um, and I, the thing I really wanted to do was improvise on my horn, basically. Um, and so I toured for about a year with Eli and all the guys, and it was a really great experience. And I was starting to want to just do more personally on my instrument and maybe do more of my own music. Uh, and so it was about like August or September of 2008. And I remember we were getting we were getting the news that the band was going to go to Australia, we were going to go to Spain, and um, we were going to go to Japan. But it wasn't going to be until, like, December. And the thought I had was, you know, man, I have to wait to December to go do these things. I really don't want to wait that long. And when I had that thought that I was like, I don't want to wait to go to Australia, or, like, I'm not happy about the idea of being able to go to Australia, I figured that I was probably not doing quite the right thing and so um i got lucky some contacts that i had in boston you know for steady work in town uh pop back up so i could rejoin a wedding band and i could do some like day job office work for a little while so that i could have some income and i moved back to boston and i quit the band and um applied to grad school uh and uh it was a smart move definitely for me um yeah and so once you got here, I know this is not your first record. So how how what number is this for you, Clean? This is my second record. And um, can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind the record? And I know it's got kind of an unusual instrumentation. Can you kind of talk us through that? Yeah. Well, um, I knew I, there's a part of me that wants to put out a certain amount of records, kind of like my body of work or something. And so this was like my second one. Um, and uh, I work at the Cornelius Street Cafe down in the West Village. And um, John Hollenbeck, 
performs there regularly with his band, um, the Claudia Quintet. And he was talking one night about how every year he, in September, he goes and does uh, artist residency somewhere and composes all his music for the year. And I thought that was a really smart idea, you know, because the Claudia Quintet sounds amazing and John Hollenbeck is amazing. And I'm like, well, that's a good idea. Maybe I should try something like that. And so I also wanted to get out of New York City. It's a great place to be at, but it's also a great place to not be at. And so uh, I, you know, applied to the Banff Creative Arts Center in, in uh, Alberta, Canada, and um, I got in and I took a little, you know, winter uh, creative sabbatical from New York City, and I went up and started composing. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to come up with, and I didn't exactly know what the experience was going to be like, but I just sort of want, went up and wanted to write some music. Um, and I started doing that. And while I was there, um, there I was really the only jazz musician because this was more of like the composer's uh, session. There wasn't a lot of, there wasn't like jam sessions or like you weren't working on music as groups or anything. Like you were just in your own little cabin, your own little studio, and you would write music or do whatever you wanted basically in this studio and work on your project. And uh, there was a lot of contemporary classical composers. There was a lot of contemporary classical performers. There was avant-garde composers. Um, there was pop performers, pop composers. And I was really the only jazz guy. And so when I went to perform my music, um, there was no jazz bass player. There was no jazz pianist. There was no nobody that could play like the music I wanted to play. So I had to figure out a way to write music for the bands that were there and still make my music. So. I'd say about half of the selections on my second record um, that I started composing there are written with, for these type of performers in mind, where people are basically like playing parts instead of playing like improvising on song. Um, and then the other half of the record is more like jazz composition, where the band improvises on forms and things like that, and improvises on rhythm. Um, and Another experience that, that happened while I was up there, um, well, two things basically. One, I, I knew I wanted to uh, make the record a little bit more uh, like a story instead of just sort of like a, a traditional jazz album where there's songs with melodies and heads and then solos and then the, the head ends and then there's another song. I wanted to give it more of a, a longer feel. Um, I was really influenced by Kendrick Lamar's album that came out, uh, To Pimp a Butterfly. Um, I used to love listening to hip-hop music a lot, and I hadn't listened to it in a long time. And his album came out, and it was really great. And the storytelling and the, the long-form, uh, you know, thematic stuff that goes on on that record is amazing. And I really liked that, and how they switched between smaller sections and larger sections and bigger ideas and smaller ideas. And I wanted to incorporate that into a jazz album. And then the second thing that happened was um, one of the chefs at Cornelia Street, where I work, was uh, was uh, murdered in his home uh, while I was in Canada, and it was a really shocking experience. And because um, he's one of the nicest people that uh, I worked with, and it was just sort of like the last thing that I ever really could have imagined happening to this person. Um, there was a home invasion in New York City in East New York where I lived and 
someone tried to steal all of his stuff at his house, and I don't think they expected him to be home, and he was home, and he fought back, and this guy, this intruder, uh, took his life, and, um, you know, it was terrible. And so I started writing music for him, and I, I don't really, I'm not really, like, I don't do that usually, um, but the experience was just uh, incredibly shocking, and so I wrote some music for him, which ended up being these short little pieces for eight woodwinds, so a saxophone quartet, flute, piano, uh, clarinet, and oboe, and then piano joins with them. And there are these interludes that are all throughout the album that are basically uh, short little homages to, uh, his name was Rumelo Herrera, and uh, yeah, they hold the record together and create it, help create a sense of flow. Um, and I wrote in the liner notes much like the way that Romolo did at the cafe. He really was one of the people that helped hold everything together. Um, so that's a lot of the stuff that's going on in the record. There's these woodwind octet little pieces that glue things together. There's jazz composition pieces. And then there's these semi-contemporary classical pieces with written out parts for like ensemble that um, I composed at the BAMP Center in Alberta, Canada. Um, and hopefully they you know, it all comes together and makes a big cohesive thing that people enjoy listening to. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's great. And it's definitely something a little bit different and kind of refreshing, at least to my ears, uh, you know, as a jazz, whatever, person that listens to jazz. Oh, yeah. uh, um, so can you tell us a little bit more about the experience up at, at Banff? Because um, I'm only really familiar with the summer camp and kind of all that goes into that. What was that residency like? Man, it was great, and I can't recommend it enough to any musician or creative individual that you know wants to work on their stuff. Um, it's a wonderful place. Like they're so supportive, they give you whatever you need. And so I went up. It's called the Musicians in Residence Program, um, and it's very wide open. You can. There was a person there who was a uh, like I want to say, music ethnologist who was working on her, her a chapter of her dissertation. So she was just writing. She wasn't really a performer. She was just writing. Um, and so basically, if you have a project you're working on, you pitch it to the BAMP Center, and if they like it, you get in, and then you go up and you get a private space, a studio in the mountains of, you know, Calgary and Alberta. Um, it's stunningly beautiful. And you work on your project for the whole time you're there. And there's no real constraints. There's no time constraints. There's no places you need to be. You just have a place to work. And uh, you stay in a, uh, like a, basically like a hotel-type setting on this beautiful like campus. And there's an amazing music library. There's really great food. Um, the people are wonderful. Um, and... There's a gym and a pool and a jacuzzi, and the nature is stunning. And I went snowboarding and hiking and um, you can hang out in the town of Banff. And you just sort of create your project. So I would wake up, and then I would maybe some days go to the gym, uh, maybe some days just relax for a minute. And then I would go to my studio, and I would practice my saxophone for three to five hours. And then I would get lunch. And then 
I would compose for like three to five hours. And then, you know, some days they have, um, they have sort of, uh, mentors in residence or I can't remember what the term was, but, um, I got to take a lesson with some of the bang on the can members. Um, I'm blanking on their names right now because it was about a year and a half ago. Um, Names. Uh, but yeah, it was really, really great. And there was, uh, there was a singer songwriter named Stephen Fearing from Canada who was there. He was a really great performer. Um, I got, we got to take lessons from him and it was great. Uh, man, I'm blank on these, the bang on the can guys. Cause that was really fun. Um, let me see if I can find their names real quick. Uh, never mind. Yeah, it's okay. But, yeah. I'm sure there's a, not too many guys in that group, right? But well, I guess there's several. Yeah. But but that sounds uh, like it was a great Lisa experience. Moore. Yeah, it was Lisa Moore on piano, and her husband, who was a composer at Yale University, he studied with Ligeti, and he was awesome to study with. And he was super smart, and I took a lesson with him. And he's really hard to get a lesson with, which was why it was super cool. And I can't believe I'm blanking on his name this morning. Um, it was really awesome to take a lesson with him because he was like, he was like, focus on this one thing. He's like, that sounds good. Like, stop getting distracted. I was like, yeah, all right. But yeah, it was it was really great. Everybody should go there. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds it sounds like it was super cool. Um, so it sounds like it was super integral to putting together this project as well. Yeah, it kind of um, it kind of kickstarted my creative juices and I'm planning to apply to go back for this winter, this, this winter for January. So I can start maybe my third record, see what I come up with this time. Nice. Um, yeah. So what's going to happen with the record? It's coming out on August 4th and then you're going to, you've got a couple of performances lined up. What, what else, what's happening with all that? Yeah. August 4th is the release date. Um, it will be available, I think on iTunes and Spotify for people to check out. Um, and then I'm planning a CD release party in New York city on August 13th or not August, uh, October 13th, excuse me, um, at the street cafe. And I'm working on setting up some dates that hopefully will coincide with that on the East coast, um, for the fall to also be like some release things. And I'm just going to try and get it out into the world the best I can. Um, and uh, hopefully everybody can check it out. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm sure that they will. So what's the best place for people to find you online? Um, my website is paulthejones.com. Um, and that is the best place to find what's happening with me and, uh, you know, all my dates and upcoming projects. Um, if I have a Facebook page. It's uh, my tag is paul saxophone jones um and on instagram it's paul the jones so you know i got one of those generic names you gotta like add some other tags with it to find me so it's paul jones and usually saxophone of some sort that usually narrows it down but there's another paul jones in in london he's got a thing going on and he plays saxophone and there's a few paul joneses that have played other instruments over time you might get the wrong one um there's a few of us but well, I'm sure people yeah. can find you. Yeah. Because you're not, and I know you've got a lot of other stuff going on. You've got 
another couple records you were working on we were just talking about a couple weeks ago and also i know you're doing a bunch of stuff on youtube so people should uh go to your website and find all that stuff yeah i do a lot of stuff in between so like this would i guess would be my second studio album if that those terms still apply um and then I do a lot of home recording. I built a studio in my living room, and I sort of self-release stuff. I'm going to self-release like a jazz standards record this fall, I think. Um, and I'm probably going to self-release some small, smaller jazz standards records that I record myself probably like every three months, I think, in this coming year. Um, and you can find those releases through my website, and um, Bandcamp will be a good place for that, and probably Spotify as well. Uh, and then I was in Italy and London this winter performing, um, and with a quartet and we toured and I recorded the end of tour. And so hopefully in the next, you know, maybe year, I'm going to have another record coming out, um, that will maybe be a European release. I don't know yet. We got, we got all the audio files. We got to mix and master everything and then find a home for this next project. So that one is basically like a live recording that um, we recorded at the end of tour. And so I got a bunch of like, you know, um, releases coming out this year in between, I guess, what would be my second and third major studio records. Uh, but it's all self-produced, uh, so it's all the Paul Jones major funded studio records. Um, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Paul, man, thanks so much for chatting today. And uh, I know it's gonna everything's gonna be great with the record and so august 4th 2017 check out paul yep. jones new record clean yeah thanks nick thanks for talking and there you have it that's paul jones saxophonist and composer new york band leader talking all about his new release clean you can find that on the outside of the music website on itunes spotify and all the normal places so go pick up a copy Thanks for checking out over here this week. Be sure to subscribe. Let us know what you think of this podcast. All of the comments really helped. Send us a message and let us know what you think. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you guys next time.